Welcome to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 71. We're talking AMC's Humans. I am Ali Matu, joined as always by my very human co-host, AJ Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? Going great. I think that's up for debate, Ali, sometimes. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, um, we'll have to give you that, uh, what's that test call in Blade Runner? The, um, uh, the whatever human test. We'll, we'll have to put you through that. But uh, wh- what are we talking about today in addition to humans, Conrad? What's in our crossover chamber? Uh, in our crossover chamber, I think somewhat non... No, I don't think this will be a super big surprise, but we're going to pit humans against Ex Machina, <laughs> and, which is, I think, a pretty good comparison, especially given how much we, we chatted about that movie. Uh, and the question is going to be which, which film slash television show uh, shows a better rendition of AI. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. There's going to be a lot to discuss there. And then in the spirit of this show, we are talking about our top five warnings to the future. Uh, So we'll see what that has in store for us a little bit later in the episode. So to get started, uh, for those, we're going to do a little non-spoiler discussion first for those of you who have not seen Humans. But for those of you who don't know anything about it, this is an eight episode season that is a joint venture between the British Channel 4 and the American AMC, as some of you know, is the the channel behind Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and of course, Walking Dead. Conrad, this was supposed to be something that came out with Xbox and Channel 4, but Xbox kind of scaled back its programming, and it's all based on this Swedish show I never heard of from 2012 called Real Humans. Um, I got to admit, I didn't really know much about the show at all until you told me last week that I must see it. <laughs> I I actually had heard of the Swedish show and I had vaguely heard about the idea that they were doing this remake, reinterpretation, whatever you want to call it. And I that there was this joint uh, sort of production between Showtime and Channel 4. But that's pretty much all I heard and I kind of forgot about it until I started seeing ads um, on the subway. And I was like, oh, is that... And, like, I, it didn't quite click yet that that was the particular show. And then I was like, oh, I think that that's the show. And I, I made a point to see it. Um, and I feel... And I, I apologize to whoever recommended this or had mentioned it because somebody did mention it and said, yeah, you, you and this would be right up your alley. And so Bill and I started watching it I'll, I'll admit this was not Bill's favorite television show when it first started out, but he is now as big of a fan as I am. But <laughs> as I was watching it, I w- all I could think was how much you would like the show. So, Well, you were right. Uh, spoiler alert. I really yes. like this show. And there's going to be a lot for us to talk about. Right. I think you meant sh- uh, AMC instead of show. Sorry, time, right? AMC. Yep. Right. right. No, so, um, apologies. My nerd detector was going off. I had to correct uh, that No, no, before. it's okay. I, I <laughs> admittedly just got up from a nap, so I'm a little bit more foggy right now. That those, A nap the, or a recharge, Connor? It could be a recharge, but it was a, sie- <laughs> a siesta, admittedly. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it the, the ads themselves intrigued me, but I was also, part of why I was interested in it was because we had so much fun talking about Ex Machina. And there's part of that film that 
you want to see a little bit more of what happens next. And I feel like this show is a lot of what might happen next. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's also like this is something we keep talking about. Um, there's yeah, we, ex- we love this topic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we talk about I, you know, I just referenced Blade Runner earlier. We've talked about Terminator in the past. And, you know, we didn't review Terminator Genesis because, well, it's a horrible film. But <laughs> right. Terminator is kind of back in the ethos. Chappie's a movie that came out. Age of Ultron. Uh, the Black Mirror uh, Christmas special sort of taps mm-hmm. into this. We've talked about Data. We've talked about C-3PO. Uh, friend of the show, Alan Kistler, just relaunched his podcast, Crazy Sexy Geeks. And I was fortunate enough to be on his first episode, which was all about AI. I mean, this is a topic that is definitely out there in the ethos. And Conrad, I feel like it's it's out there more this year than we've had in the past. Like this is a lot of stories are delving into this. And what I love about humans and getting into our non-spoiler discussion here, you're right. This is sort of what happens next. The premise here is there are a lot of these um, synths, which is what they call Mm -hmm. like synthetic life that is out there working in all aspects of society and most of them are not self-aware. And what we find out in the first episode, there are a few that are special, that are different. Um, But the way in which this show is unique is we already have the premise that these synthetics are out there they're working in your homes. They insurance companies are using them. They're replacing physical therapists, all this sort of stuff. And the only thing that really separates them are their green eyes and um, how they're designed not to feel emotions and all of that kind of stuff. Right, and it's 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 exploring how this would affect human culture, and there is. There's been a lot of talk and discussion, especially of late. I don't know if you have heard any of the podcasts that have addressed this or any of the things that have been talking about. And, you know, this this comes up a lot lately. For example, we've got um, Google Drive, uh, as in the driving car, the Google car that just drives itself. And there's been a lot of discussions like, okay, if technology does reach this level, what are the humans that do these jobs? What are they going to do? And there's been an examination of different occupations and basically it's said that pretty much anything could be done by by like um, a a synthetic intelligence. So uh, so where does that put us? What happens when you're not your occupation is not going to be your life anymore? And what does that mean? And what does that mean for society? What does that mean for money? Um, because this is where, this is where I think the show really excels. And, um, I O9 in their initial reviews said, if Isaac Asimov were alive, humans would be his favorite TV show. And it's absolutely true. I think that that is totally correct. You Um, know, what Asimov did well was have these, have so many short stories in this shared universe about what would happen to society if robots were there. And the show mm-hmm. um, has this homage to him by talking about these Asimov blocks in, in the synths prog- 
programming that prevent them from um, harming humans. Yep. And but but I think you're right, Conrad. The meat of the show is really about what's the implication here now for society. And there's one character. There's the daughter in this family, Maddie. Who, Maddie, who whose character I didn't like initially, but have really grown to love over the four episodes that we have seen at the time of this recording. And she mentions things like, well, what am I supposed to do? Um, these these synths have replaced most of the jobs out there and give them a few more years, they will replace surgeons and all the sort of skilled labor that that exists. Like what purpose and motivation is there for us as humans? And I think this is where humans gets to ideas about about labor. And it made me think about iPhones and cars and how many of these things are engineered by robots. And when they're not engineered by robots, they're engineered by uh, Chinese labor who uh, these individuals are not paid much and they're kept in really horrible conditions. And I think that the show really gets at not only what would be our reaction to technology, but how humans are pretty horrible at treating each other when we don't consider each other to be human. Well, and also I think it explores humans' relationships with each other and how the relationship with tech, with technology would affect that. And so there are, there's, I think that this is a very well-written and well-produced show. Um, I think that the cast is absolutely excellent and there are some really amazing actors in this. Um, Oh yeah. William Hurt is the standout to me. There are a lot of great actors in this, but I think he is just wonderful. Um, and the the other thing that I, I think it successfully explores is the positive and negative relationships you could have with technology. So yeah. there is, you know, we, we find out more, not to give anything away, but he has some very specific reasons. He has a relationship with his synth, um, like a very positive relationship. William Hurt's character. Right. And there there's reasons why he has that relationship. And he's aware of what it is and he knows what it is, but it's also, it's, it's a bit heartbreaking and just very moving how he, how this relationship unfolds and how you understand it during the the course of the show. And then there's also within uh, Maddie's family, her father and her mother have a very difficult relationship and they have some problems going on in their marriage. And that manifests itself with how both of them interact with their synth Anita and it's it's a bit of a cascading effect because then you see how it affects the the children and it's a really I I just cannot say enough good things about this show at this point anyway it's not yet finished there's there are a few episodes left but I was just very impressed and and as these things were unfolding I I was just thinking to myself how much I couldn't wait to talk to you about this. And there's, and there's some really, mo- there's some really incredible moments um, that happen that also just from, from a human psychology point of view are amazing. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to record this episode is we want all of you to go watch humans while it's still right. airing. And, and we typically don't do this uh, reviewing something halfway through, but it's just, it needs to be shared. I think a lot of people haven't really jumped on, on the humans bandwagon here and, and you should. And the relationships are key here. It's, it's about our relationship with technology. It's about 
human's relationship with each other. And that's, that's what's so fantastic about this film. The relationship between William Hurt's character and his synth kind of reminded me of a film I saw uh, a little while back, Robot and Frank, which is kind of taps into those issues. But this, this show is able to kind of flesh it out much better. And I think that's my overall feeling about humans. It's kind of the show I wished uh, Caprica Always was. Yes. You know, I really was thinking about that's so funny that you say that. I was thinking to myself that if Caprica had had this much depth or even a little bit more <laughs> depth <laughs> on this on this end of things. And I know some people really like that show. I oh, compare yeah. compared to Battlestar, I don't I don't feel like it held a candle. And I think it was trying to do some of these things, but just wasn't as successful. Yeah. And and I think maybe part of the success of this is that you don't know really what timeline this show is in, but you can. It's similar to her in that you. This is a possible. It seems like a feasible future. I, I see it as a parallel universe. Yeah, they're, they're using iPads. They're using Microsoft Slates. Uh, they're using a lot of technology that we have available right now. It looks like the present just with these synth life forms kind of woven in throughout. Um, But it could be a little bit in the future. You know, it could be like it looks like a feasible possibility, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not so far out there. And I think I think Caprica seems very much in a different universe, perhaps much later on, but it's not close. It doesn't hit close enough to home, maybe. Yeah, um, and and that's what's cool about this is it does feel like like us, and it's doing something that that AI movies can't really do. And what what television is so great at is telling stories over a number of episodes and being right. able to really flesh out characters. And um, we'll talk about this when we get to Ex Machina. But when we think about some of the great works of AI in terms of films, they almost always they almost always end at a place where I want to know what happens next. Right. Or they start and I kind of want to know how do we get there? And humans is filling in this lovely little gap. It really (laughs) is. Right? Like a gap that we haven't really seen explored well. We have in... In novels and short stories, and that gets us back to Isaac Asimov, we've seen it explored really well there, but not necessarily in TV. And that's that's what I really enjoy about this. Um, I mean, there's a lot that we can go on and on about with this film or with this TV show uh, and where it goes into. But um, I mean, is there? do you have any downsides you want to talk about before we get to spoilers? Um. It- one thing I do want to say, I think that this cast is amazing, and I think especially those people who play the synths are phenomenal. Oh, they really yeah. are. I think that this is a tall order to put in front of anybody, and they pull it off really well. There there are sort of some specific um, sort way, specific ways that the synths act toward each other that tells you that they're a synth, and some of them are not behaving as usual. And there is sort of this like middle ground where they have to act a little bit of both. And I just felt like these actors are doing such an incredible job and that alone is worth watching the show. But, you know, they really make it they they make you buy it. Uh, And 
Gemma Chan, who plays the the main synth. Uh, oh the my gosh, she's lead. just she's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I am so terrified. Um, <laughs> she's she's amazing. I haven't really seen her in. I haven't seen her other work, but uh, she's a standout here. And I do love that there's some diversity here on the TV show. I mean, they're all they're all British. Uh, but yeah, but the the one downside I would say though is that you see the majority of the diversity within the synths, but not within, synths, within yeah. the other humans, which bother me. But I, and I hate to say it, but this is uh, and it's interesting because it's usually in a lot of the the British based shows, you see a little bit more diversity in some of the more in some of the main characters, and I, I think you can say that these synths are the main characters. But because the humans have a little bit, I don't know, I guess that's up for debate um, because the humans have a certain role in society at this point. But you could say that the synths are perhaps transferring into a different role here. So but but that did bother me that a lot of the families that were using them were not. There was no diverse, no ethnic diversity there whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that. Maddie seems to have a South Asian boyfriend. Uh, I, I did a, like that. I was going I was to note fan. that, but he only he only makes a couple <laughs> of appearances. I also like that the, their relationship. There's definitely uh, the Bechdel test. Maddie passes. So does her mom. So yeah, and, and she she is uh, she's very quickly becoming my favorite character. Uh, and she's smart. She's got a background. It seems like um, has a background in engineering or at least some interest in it. Um, that's pretty cool. We see her do some, doing some hacking, but you're right. The um, most of the, the people of color seem to be since, um, and that might play into, you know, it may play into playing. something else. I just wanted to note that. Cause I thought it was, it was, an, it, it was something that is, a, you notice, you notice it, it. sticks out. Yeah. Uh, and I and I'm assuming that it's deliberate, um, yeah. but it's, you know, it was something that was not necessarily bad, but something that I feel may be their subtle commentary as well. So absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think we both before we get to spoilers are giving this our full endorsement. Uh, check it out. This airs on AMC, I believe on Sundays, Conrad. Is that right? Yep. Um, so I'm very excited. Another one's on tonight. Another one's on tonight. So check it out. And with that, I think we're going to be downloading our spoilers right now. So you have been warned. We are venturing into the dark web of spoilers. Correct. So Conrad, um, there's a lot to talk about here. And right. I well, think you you nailed it when you were talking about relationships. Right. Um, and I think the main, as you said, the main synth character is Anita. And Anita is also another character. So she is a synth that has basically been kidnapped and put on the black market. Her personality was wiped out. Um, her original personality of Mia was wiped out. And on top of it, this personality of Anita was put there and she sold to this family. And there is a lot of things that are explored by her relationship with this family. It is so dynamic, um, this storyline, that I, I, I'm not totally sure where to begin with it. But I do think that that is, to me, that's the center of a lot of this story. It um, is, and and that's where, it in some ways, does cross over to Ex Machina Land, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think there is this 
Um, themes of slavery mm-hmm. come up here, of um, the sex trade that comes up here. Human trafficking comes up. Um, but it's not just solely focused on that. I mean, I think that's some of what uh, the Anita character represents. But as you mentioned earlier, we get to see um, William Hurt's character, uh, George uh, Milliken, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we see his relationship with his synth and his um, somewhat case of, uh, of dementia a little bit um, and the emotional connection that he has there. And I thought this was really interesting. You know, the show seems to take place in UK mm-hmm. where there is universal health care. And the storyline about the replacement synth that is sent to him by his insurance. Right. And, and it's an interesting, like this is one of those cautionary tales. So on the one hand, you have these synths that are doing amazing things. Um, and they, you, you can imagine how helpful that would be. For, for example, if you were somebody that had suffered a stroke and were living alone, there could be this really healthful 24-hour healthcare worker there for you to rely yeah. on. So it wouldn't be so scary. However, the synth that they would like to give him very much has a nurse ratchet type of persona. And it's, it's a <laughs> totally. ja- and it's a jailer. And it... Um, won't leave him alone. It won't give him the food that he wants for his own good, of course, or that's what she's programmed to do. And because he is not her primary um, owner, it is the insurance company that does this. And they would, you know, they, she, she doesn't really, she, she's definitely an adversary to him. Um, So for example, if he wakes up in the middle of the night, she goes and brings him back to his room and it's, you get this feeling of how trapped and helpless somebody would feel if they were in this situation. Yeah. Um, and so that was a great exploration of that. And then on the other side of it, you're seeing his relationship with his earlier model synth. Odie. Uh, Odie, who is the synth that he and his wife had owned together. And his wife died. And his because yeah. he has had a stroke, he, he uses Odie as a cue for his memory. This is the synth that was there. He is he has such a great love for him and it's so touching and he keeps trying to repair him. And you get the sense that he's had more knowledge of synths than other people since he is able to do this and that unfolds later on. Um, but I just thought that those two, that storyline exploring those two um, very different relationships was pretty incredible. And then he is also the the main um, sort of the 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 character that explores a lot of the fears that humans would have regarding the singularity and what happens if synths are independently thinking and are more human. And, um, you know, later on in the show, he has a lot of interactions with one of the other synths that is, that is basically she has this programming or she has this new type of programming and she is, she is an independent thinker as is this other group of six synths. Um, this is, uh, this is Niska and she, mm. she's done some things that are not so great. And he explores discussions with her about feelings and about feeling bad and what it means to be human and what it means to be. There's a question that keeps getting asked, like, how is it to be you? Mm-hmm. Um, like, what is it like to be you? Um, and a few different characters ask this of each other. And there is, did, did you find that moment w- between him and Niska to be, I thought it was truly incredible. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. The, the Niska character is is one of those ones that really highlights a lot of these different themes that the show is raising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it takes the show into the the uncomfortable area where it's not just about our relationship with technology, but right. the inhumanity that right. uh, that we are capable of. And so uh, Niska being uh, one of the since working in the sex industry. And well, she she got well, this is the interesting part about her is that so um uh, Dr. Milliken's sort of partner, Leo Elster is the father of all the sins. So that's one part of the storyline. And Dr. Milliken left because he was afraid of where it was going, which was this place that we are now where there awareness, where there's self-awareness with the sense. And he was afraid of what it would do to humanity. However, he views these sense that are self-aware as an absolute miracle. And Niska has compared to the other sense of this type that we have met. And I do think there's six, correct, Ali? I think that that's the number that we have in our heads, or at least that's what I think they've mentioned a couple of times. Um, she had relationships with Dr. Elsera and the other sense were unaware, uh, were, una- uh, were unaware of it at all. So she already has this damage or this different view of humanity. And then when she was kidnapped by the black market, folks, they sold her to a brothel where she's forced to do a lot of horrible things. And it's, you know, this, this is addressing the human trafficking issue, but I guess the question is if people thought that they were dealing with something that didn't care with something that they viewed as a machine rather than human, what would they do? And the scary thing is, is that unfortunately I think that no matter whether they think it's human or not, if they're not viewing that person that entity as a person they're going to do those things no matter what and it's really sad so she deals with um somebody that one of the clients is a um a, a somebody that has fantasies about chi- like child molesting like he wants her to act like she's scared and he has rape fantasies and he wants her to act as if she is a young girl and she snaps and i mean i think that that's the more in- not more interesting but that's a very interesting thing that they're exploring here yeah, um, it's and, not and, it's not just that they're treating sense this way is that they would probably be treating women this way. And unfortunately, the reality is in our society, there is human trafficking and there is there are these situations and people do treat women. And, and unfortunately, younger girls are in this. They, they treat them like they're inhuman. It's it's a horrible. And, and so this is where the show gets very, very interesting and is a warning to the future, um, something that we're going to talk a lot about with our top five. You know, the question of uh, at what point does this become wrong? So the sex industry has always used new technologies, has always been uh, mm-hmm. early adopters of new technologies, whether it is VHS tapes and making adult content available on that. And um, that really took off in terms of people being able to get this content in the privacy of their homes mm-hmm. to then the internet, which really uh, kind of pioneered the use of, of video and whole sorts of things on online. Um, and animation. And, hmm. and animation. Sure, yeah, no. And we could, we could definitely see um, if... There is some t- type of um, android humanoid type of 
revolution that the sex industry would be one of the early adopters of that. Well, right. And already they have, you know, we have seen this as a theme of of certain other shows, but there already are very lifelike sex dolls that people can order, made to order. And you would imagine if there was a way to make them move and, and talk and act sort of simulate a human experience that there would be a market for that for people. Absolutely, there would be. And and there's some interesting questions that come up. Like, at what point does that become wrong? And this is something you and I talked about in our Ex Machina review is if these, uh, if these creations have self-awareness, if they are aware of themselves as a social object, if... And it's going to be real hard to determine that. Um, mm-hmm. And w- if they're self-aware or if they're very, very good at replicating human responses. And then at some point, the question becomes, is there a difference, really? Well, and uh, it's not just that question. It's not even if they themselves think of themselves as human. It's also the relationships that the humans have with them. So in the Hawkins family, which is where Anita slash Mia is living, uh, the mother, Laura Hawkins, she is her husband has sexual relations with Mia. And she isn't just upset about the betrayal to her. She is upset because of what Mia slash Anita means to the family, means to the children. This is this is an entity that. And I would even go so far as to say a member of their family, basically. That's how the children view her, Um, although some in different ways. Clearly, the son, Toby, has a crush on her. (laughs) So um, but the little girl, Sophie, uh, this this is her nanny. This reads her to bed at night and tucks her in and has all these interactions and is part of the social network of her family. And so so part of what. Laura is just devastated by is the fact that her husband would do this and then for the children and at least Toby to know about it. Um, well, one of the things with, with Sophie and again, the powerful relationships right. that this show demonstrates, we know that young children have a hard time separating out what's a commercial and what's a story and cartoon and sometimes mm-hmm. understanding reality. We know that sometimes young children see their toys as as real objects and um, uh, see them as having feelings and thoughts and independence. So you, we can understand how this would be very confusing for Sophie. Uh, this is uh, she, The family thinks that this is one of those sense that doesn't have self awareness but there is that element underneath and how how this would play out with kids i think is one really interesting element of this mm-hmm. there's a quote uh, quotation from episode 4 uh that really stuck out with me, Conrad. And this is the episode where um, uh, there's a lot of sexual relations um, and inhumanity and all of that begins to play out. And there's a scene of potential, what could be date rape. There is that Mm -hmm. scene of uh, Mr. Hawkins um, uh, engaging in in sexual acts with Anita. And... uh, Meanwhile, Laura Hawkins goes to investigate a case where this woman wants to uh, sue for human rights for mm-hmm. her synth. And 
she says this quote that I wrote out, um, and I had to rewind and watch it again because it, it hit me really hard. And she said, I don't believe that Howard is a human, but I also don't believe that he is an inanimate object that should be ashamed uh, or, or that I should be ashamed of having a connection with him. We created these creatures. They walk and they talk and they look and they smell and they are a part of our lives and our families. They are as close to humans as can be. And yet people insist that forming a relationship with them or treating them with dignity is somehow perverse. We've created a gray area. We can't keep insisting that they're just gadgets. They are more than that. And we have made them more than that. And I think that is exactly the thesis of this show. No, absolutely. And it's, and we see this particular thesis played out over and over again. uh, What do you think of that? We are people rally that human supremacy rally well i think that that's a very realistic uh, idea of what could happen i do think that if you have people sitting around and feeling useless and not there's there's definitely a possibility that i mean look at where there is such a the current economic disparity right now um around the world between the haves and the have-nots. Look at how much the wealth is controlled by a tiny percentage of people. You could definitely see a reality where perhaps those people, and and they do explore that a little bit in this show, it is definitely the wealthy part of society that have sense. And well, the even, cost about the, the cost of a car. Right. Um, if not um, more and there's that, even, maybe they're you around 20000 And there are different parts where there are different sort of agreements where you can rent a synth. And the example yep. of that is the, um, the sort of synth police um, that the, one of the members of the synth police, his wife has had an accident or something. It's not, it's not clear to me exactly what happened to her. Um, she, uh, she, that's uh, um, the detective uh, Pete uh, Drummond, and his his wife is in need of somebody to help her basically even just get to the bathroom and and get around. And so they have basically like a nurse slash physical therapist. Yeah. So, they, of, it's, so yeah. they have basically rented a synth, but it's very expensive. It's like leasing a car. And yeah. so and so there are scenarios like that. And you can see where if there was that divide, the people that are basically marginalized and and really made redundant by the synths are going to be resentful. Yeah. Um, and you can see, like, it's it's an interesting thing. And it's, um, you know, I, like anything, it's kind of hard to see your replacement out there walking around, right? Absolutely. It's, so, it's, this show is living right there in that uncanny valley. It is, it, it is. is. <laughs> but, I mean, the other question is, like, in the real world, what... If things, if technology was to get to a certain level, would we make them look like humans? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Is like, I, give me a C3PO over a synth any day of the week. Like that'll just be so much easier for us right. to deal with. But I mean, you're right. As you mentioned earlier, the sex industry would go in this direction. And you know, let's let's say these these creations don't have self awareness, um, but they are programmed to look like us. Is is engaging in uh, sexual relations with with these things is that cheating is it right. masturbation like i don't know how is that going to affect a relationship um and then you add or into that or does that does that also if you if you don't have a relationship and you only have a relationship with 
the technology? Are you going to have a relationship with other people? Are people because absolutely? I mean, I thought that there was a lot of commentary there, there, and as you know, you and I have discussed this a lot. Is the interactions humans are having currently with technology, and how there is a lot of concern, and a lot of people have raised are are definitely talking a lot about how people are not interacting as much with each other. They're interacting with their phones even to interact with each other. Um, I think especially in New York, and I'm sure this is is prevalent many other places, you see people out to dinner and I've been guilty of it myself where, you know, you can't put down your smartphone or you will check it or, and you're not doing that. And in that moment, you're ignoring the person or people you're with. And um, the other, the other piece, um, there was this, this interview with Ian McKellen, um, who just did his Sherlock Holmes, which I think you and I should both watch. But mm. um, his Sherlock Holmes film, it's about it. I will watch anything Ian McKellen. I know. I, but like. one of, it, was, it was an interview with um, Mark Maron. Mm. And one of the, um, the Is things... Is this on the WTF podcast? Yeah, he was talking about it on that, but he was also talking about it on, on Nerdist, too. He did both of those shows. Oh, cool. And I think they're both interesting and different interviews. Um, but the the thing he was talking about, I, I think this was probably on the Nerdist podcast, but he was talking about experiences and how a lot of people want, when he meets them or when they recognize him, want to get selfies with him. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, how odd it is that people don't want to enjoy the moment. They want to have a photo of the moment. Mm-hmm. So rather than talking to him, they want this, they don't really want to talk to him. They want this photographic evidence that they saw him and mm-hmm. that, and, and to put that out there. And it was an interesting conversation. And he was saying something like, well, you know, for example, if you were to meet Paul McCartney from the Beatles, wouldn't it be much more interesting to talk to him and ask him what he thought about certain things rather than to just <laughs> waste your time trying to get a selfie of him? And, and I think that that is an interesting observation. And, and I think we have seen this theme and heard this theme a lot more lately sure. yeah um and yeah. just and also also the this question about how much technology might be affecting children and you know there's some really positive things about it and about learning and access to learning but what exactly are they learning and are they learning that to the detriment of their human relationships and development so i've actually a- got a story about that Conrad, I'll, I'll share very quickly. Um, a, a student I was working with, Steve, uh, told me a story about how he was at his uh, friend's beach house that they were renting for the summer. And he's a singer-songwriter in addition to becoming a psychologist. And his friends went out to the beach and he said, I'm going to hang around and I'm going to play some guitar. I'm working on the song. And he was playing in the front porch. And then all of a sudden, guess who walks in front of him? It's, it's Paul McCartney. Huh? And Paul goes... Hey, what you playing over there? And my uh, my student Steve walks up to him and goes, uh, oh, "Oh my gosh, Paul McCartney, uh, how are you?" And he goes, "I'm trying to work on the song. Is won't you play a little bit of it?" So he starts playing his song, and Paul McCartney gives him some advice on it, and they wow, have this moment of human connection. And Steve has no photo of it, nothing like that, but this just this shared moment, and I think. You're right. This is part of the commentary of this of the show is what would happen to those human moments. And we have and it's it's not 
clear because, yes, you might have people who are only investing in these quote-unquote synthetic relationships. But then again, we get back to William Hurt's character, an individual who would otherwise be so alone. Mm -hmm. And we know loneliness and how it impacts a lot of people and can lead to depression and is quite a problem um, in, in the aging population who might become more isolated, that these synths could really be um, something that could alleviate some of that. If well, it's, right. it's true. And even in the, even in the sort of somewhat negative relationship uh, with uh, Detective Drummond and his wife, the thing is, is that his wife has suffered a massive health event. And we do know how, bur- like, that's, that's a really horrible and traumatic thing for a couple or a family to go through. And the idea that you would have this helper that can basically be there, I think, would be a very positive thing for a lot of people. In this case, because they had issues with their marriage already, it represented other things. Uh, people reference her healthcare worker as a beefcake um, <laughs> and things like that. And she is... She clearly has this feeling towards him. And it, and also in, later on, this goes off the rails when she decides to engage uh, with him with sexual relations. And it doesn't go quite as she is expecting because he is, I'm not sure exactly what happens, but he has a little bit of a crossed wire, so to speak, um, and just won't give up and pursues her quite ardently. Um, and it's scary because he doesn't know that he needs to stop. So he has, like in this particular scenario, his directive is to have sex with her no matter what she says. Uh, so you could see how those things, while could start out positively, might end up somewhere else. But you could definitely see the idea of where this would be beneficial. Um, and well, all, I, is- all I could think of was, for example, my, my grandmother who had Parkinson's, we, especially toward the end of her illness, it was very scary to leave her by herself because yeah. she would she was a very independent and and strong woman and did not like the idea that she couldn't do things and so she would often when she was not physically able and definitely need help she wouldn't call for help and she would go and you know try to move somewhere and and especially towards the end of her illness we found her on the floor several times so you know would i have loved to have had a robot helper to help her Yes. <laughs> so Absolutely. well, and um, that's what I was thinking too. Like I, I could use a synth in my in my treatment so much. In my day job, I treat primarily anxiety disorders. And when I'm working with people struggling with social anxiety, boy, this would be so helpful to help people uh, face some of those early social situations of how do you interact with other people and becoming more comfortable with those kind of situations, be able to deal with the natural anxiety that comes up. Um, There are so many practical applications. And I love that this show is just saying, all right, we we are going to go here. We are going to create this. And here's how it would play out. Mm -hmm. Um, Conrad, I think there's like, there's very little I can, I, I can, criticize about this show. I think the characters that I thought were a little bit more weak in the early episodes they became do, strong. 
they become strong. Yeah. And I was really surprised by that. Um, I like the direction. I like the look and feel. I like the music. It's like Exena uh, or Exena, like Ex Machina. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> um, it, it has this kind of synthetic musical score that I think works really well here. Mm-hmm. I like the look. I like the feel. Um, I like all of these relationships. I like when the synths encounter each other and they encounter the conscious synths and say, why don't you share? And that whole idea that, you know, my memories and, and, and who I am is, is, is me and it's private and it's unique. And if I share with you, might kind of take away from that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really don't have much to critique about this except I'm bummed it's only eight episodes. And I know. I, I, I hope we get more. Um, I hope we get another season. I hope this continues because it's, uh, it's a really great show. It really is. And then um, the last thing I was just going to say is that I have one of the things that I have really enjoyed about this show is with the with the sixth sense um, that we are seeing and also with um, with Leo. So Leo is the character. He is the the son of the creator of um, David Elster. And everybody had thought he was di- he died. He is a little bit of a cyborg, I think is the only word to use for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he is a human body, but has a digital brain and can be, he needs to recharge and just like the sense. Um, and it's very interesting because despite the fact that he is, is, you could say, biologically the most human, sometimes he is the least human in terms of how he thinks about things or how he thinks about other humans, which is a fascinating thing in the show and the the things that some of the other synths say to him are much more human and much more sensitive. And, and the example I'm thinking right now is Max mm-hmm. um, who basically says, we've been told that we need to be afraid of all of these humans. And I, I see some of what you're saying, but I, I don't think it's as black and white as that. Um, yeah, and, and there's so there's a lot of examples of that in this show that I just think are very well thought out, brilliant. Um, and just I have talked a lot about the show, not just with Bill, but with other people and now with you. And I think that this show just has a lot of thought provoking storylines and ideas. And I, I just I agree with you. I think I don't know. I, I hope it gets another season, but I, you know, some some part of me is also. Maybe it's one of those good shows that just wraps up and is just beautiful and amazing in its its little self-contained universe. Well, I th- yeah, that's that's a good point. It's really hard to sustain something like this. Um, and we've seen this time and time again with science fiction that has a very short season and then gets some critical acclaim, is getting good ratings and gets a larger billing for another season, might be stretching things a little thin. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that sometimes with Battlestar Galactica. Uh, so, you know, it, I'll be okay too if, if this is all <laughs> we've get because this is a fantastic show. It, it like um, I think it's kind of a sibling a little bit, or it's in the same vein as Black Mirror. That there's not a lot of episodes, but each episode packs a lot of punch and really is thought provoking, and it, it will lead to many conversations. Um, right. And you know, gosh, I, it's only a matter of time, Conrad, before <laughs> this becomes our reality. Uh, in one way or another, humanity will create AI, and then it'll be—it'll end up being the greatest test 
that humanity ever has uh, as a species. How will we live in this universe when we have created this our, form of life? Uh, when you have created our robot overlords, yes. That's <laughs> but um, I think I think we are. Uh, unless you have more, but I think we're ready to head into the crossover chamber. Let's let's do it. Let's uh, enter. The Infinite Crossover Chamber. Um, Conrad, we are talking humans versus 2015's Ex Machina. As listeners probably remember, this is the the movie we covered a little bit earlier in the summer. And we had a lot to discuss about that one as well. Um, And our question today is really about which of these films is, is... a better exploration of AI, a better understanding of, of AI and the implications and, and what's going to happen. Um, Conrad, these are very different stories, but they seem to work well together. Mm-hmm. They like, do. Like Ex Machina is so, so, such an intimate story. And I don't, I don't mean that like sexually intimate, but it, it's that too. Well, it but, involves a very small universe and very few characters, but it is exploring some of the things, some of the same things that we're exploring in humans. And that is namely what happens when these artificially created beings become self-aware. And what does that mean? And how do humans interact with them? And, you know, there is, uh, and even when they're not, how humans interact with them, how, like, what does that mean? What does that mean for morality? What does that mean for us as a species? And and these are explored, but in a very small, in a small storyline, I guess is the best yeah, way to put and, it. And, and it's very much, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it too much here by saying ex machina is it sort of ends where humans kind of begins. Ex mm-hmm. Machina is a story about one um, artificial life form and the question of is it self-aware, is it alive, and you know, kind of surpassing the Turing test and going forward into you know that this is an artificial life form, now what? Which is kind of where humans is as well. But where it ends is... You you kind of walk out that theater wondering um, what's going to happen next for society, and that's kind of where humans begins. And humans is so much more of an exploration of how will society respond to these artificial life forms that have been created, and um, they're very different in that way. But we had some criticisms of Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was, I, I've been telling people I love 95% of Ex Machina. Right. But well, wh- go ahead. Oh, well, you know, what kind of concerned me was it's, it's treatment of women, of female bodies. Um, I, I think the end of that film gets into an c- uncomfortable area with me, not only in terms of the treatment of female bodies, but also the treatment of of race and ethnicity and some of the implications that that film has. Um, that was problematic for me. And I don't really have those criticisms too much of humans. I, I think you're right. Humans, um, most of the people of color are synths. Um, and there's the question of, well, is that intentional or not? And, and all of that. But I, I don't... I'm not necessarily as concerned with its treatment of of women in in humans. I think humans does a much better job. 
Yeah, well, they also have the commentary and you do have a little bit of that in the narrative with one of the characters in Ex Machina, but it, I, you felt like that was not quite enough. Um, yeah, and, and we, we kind of talked about, and you, you were kind of mentioning that, um, well, is this part of the commentary? And yeah. is this something that's built into the and story? And I still, I still stand by the fact that I do think it's a part of the commentary. As I also think the main Nathan character, I think it was a commentary on what his vision of what AI could do for him and what AI was for the world. And he viewed, I mean, he was a very, he viewed himself as a very godlike character. And therefore, of course, everybody would be below him and he can do what sure. he wants. And he did. Um, the, kind although, of saw humans like that as well. He right. Saw the, no, the, I'm everybody. Yeah. I mean, everybody. Um, and as things that he could manipulate and use. And, and we saw that, especially in the montage at the end, um, when he when it, we see the footage of how he has treated previous creations um, and it feels pretty horrible while you're watching it. It's it's sickening. It's really um, uncomfortable. But yeah. in I would say in humans, there is you can see the the whole spectrum, I think, of of emotions and the uh, how certain people and especially within the Hawkins family, the difference between how the mother views since and how the father views since. And, you know, it's interesting because in the beginning of the series of humans, Laura Hawkins is very uncomfortable with having a synth in their home and she's uncomfortable, but she doesn't necessarily say why she's uncomfortable. And then later on, it's part of what she's saying that this, this, synth is part of their family and becomes part of their family and you the family will have to the family will change their dynamic and interaction around this uh whereas um her her husband uh joe doesn't view them as humans he views them as things um and it takes uh, you know he we haven't yet seen what happens with his character arc yet um, if there's any change or if anything that Laura has said will change him, but it's not going any place good. Um, <laughs> he, <No>. And he <laughs> doesn't get it. He says he gets it, but he really doesn't. And so I think that the the commentary in humans is a lot more well-rounded in that aspect. Um, well, we see a range. We, yep. we see a range of how people see these characters and, and ex machina is a little bit more all or nothing. Yeah. It's, it's two ends of one spectrum. We don't see much of that gray area or area. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there, there's some wonderful things that both films or both stories do share. I think Alicia Vikander um, her portrayal of Ava is equally as amazing as uh, Gemma Chan's character or a char- uh, portrayal of Anita. The AI. Though I would, I would honestly give Gemma Chan seriously standing ovation. That that <laughs> that actor is she is just incredible. Um, well, what we see a little bit more with her is the. The synth portrayal and those little glimpses of the self-aware AI. Right. And with Alicia Vikander and uh, Ava, it was much more, this is, uh, this is an AI that is self-aware. And we're, it's, we're all kind of in the know, which allowed her to play a little bit more of a, of a hu- human portrayal. Um, I don't know if that, that makes any sense, but I, I think you're right here. Um, in, in most ways here, I am leaning towards 
humans as as the better portrayal. Um, that being said, I, I like both a lot. Right. Uh, I do like both a lot. I think that because of the format of the show and the fact that it's a little bit longer and where they are in the story, I feel like humans gives me a lot more of the information and explores a lot more of the really fascinating issues um, that you you want to see continued in in um, Ex Machina and you feel like it cuts off just at that point. Um, I, I do think I like them both, as you know, um, but I do I feel like humans is a little bit more well-developed. And, and again, part of that is the format. They have the time to do that and to yeah. develop these these to talk about these issues and to talk about them from multiple perspectives. And it's I can't I can't wait to see how they finish this up. But I really have thoroughly enjoyed this. And I, and a lot of the times I was thinking to myself, ah, this is this is some of the things that I wish Ex Machina had been able to do, but just was limited just because of the fact that it's it's a film and you have like an hour and a half to do it. And, and and not just Ex Machina, but so many stories. Like right. if we look at Steven Spielberg's AI, um, there's a lot of things I love about that, but there's a lot of problems too. We never see that big range of societal experiences, uh, the range of AI. And as much as I love Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation and, and all of those, we don't see a big range. Like data has been created. AI exists. Why don't we see an army of of androids. I know I've seen Measure in a Man and I know we, why we don't have them in Starfleet, but there's got to be other AI right, that right. out there, right? And not just the original series style massive machines that try to kill everything or, you know, all of that. There haven't been a lot of TV shows that have done this as well as Isaac Asimov has done in his books until now with humans. And Ex Machina will always be a really great film that taps into these issues. But if you want the richness and the range of what probably the human experience will be when we do create AI, I am voting all in on humans. Uh, you and I are on the same page. And I, but I have to say it was very close. Yeah, it's... it's, um, it's I think both explore different aspects. I just think that it, that, but you know, if you just look at Ex Machina as a, as its standalone as itself, I think it does a great job. It just humans does it a lot better for many reasons. So it's it's partially to do with the format, but I also think that the story is a lot richer and deeper, and in some ways a little bit more. I don't I want to say more realistic, but I think something that other that humans today can identify with a little bit more. Because they're normal everyday scenarios. You're not in some multi-millionaire tech guy's <laughs> war shelter. So this is playing out in the real world, which I think has a lot more impact. So that's why that's I'm going true. with that's why I'm going with humans. You can see yourself more in the world right. of humans than you can in the world of ex machina. Um, in some ways it's a little scarier though that way. So that's true. That's because true. it's not quite as divorced from reality as ex machina. Oh my is. gosh, you know, I was watching this with Nguyen and she's terrified every episode of Humans. She loves it, but she's also terrified. Uh, dear listeners, let us know uh, what you think of Humans versus Ex Machina uh, and which show you believe or which story is a better exploration of AI. And with that, we're going to close up the doors on the Infinite Crossover Chamber. <laughs>
And on to our top five. Top five warnings to the future. Conrad, how did you create your list here? Um, I have a couple of real world ideas, and this is what sci-fi does, um, sort of punctuated by some different sci-fi stories. Um, So that's how I created my list. And I thought sort of like the normal things that are going on now um, and things that we're concerned about now as illustrated by some sci-fi tales. So nice. Nice. um, I don't know. I don't know how successful I am, but you know, we can, we can (laughs) certainly see that's part of why sci-fi is so fascinating is that they're able to take certain things and explore, um, explore real world issues and fears uh hopefully by and, and get people maybe maybe uh excited enough about it to do something but I, I completely agree with you. I think science fiction does a lot of things, and it's not just about hope and optimism for the future. There's that aspect of sci-fi, too. But sci-fi and speculative fiction is also about uh, sometimes warning about current trends and what's happening in society, how this might play out. Sometimes it's about exploring new technologies and inspiration. But there's so much richness to this in this genre. And, of course, we're not going to be tapping into all of it. I was trying to highlight things we haven't talked about and also highlighting different types of things we should be afraid of and mm-hmm. kind of we should be warning the future about. So my my list is a little eclectic, but um, I'll shoot out some honorable mentions too as we get uh, into this. So uh, what's your number five? Um, my number five. So a lot of what is going on um, just politically these days, and we have seen just a ton of um, – a, a ton of of coverage and um, a lot of political volleying and back and forth about women's rights, um, specifically with regard to reproduction. Um, and so, the story, and it's it's an older story now that that stands out to me is *Handmaid's Tale* by Margaret Atwood. Lovely um, choice. That's which, my number four. Ah, um, so if you haven't read this book. It still stands up. I don't want to give away too much with it. Um, one of the the reasons why I think that this book is hits home so hard is that it's similar to humans. It does. It is set in a world that is unfortunately a little bit believable. You could see, depending on the type of thinking that happened, or you could see certain things happening. She lays out a very plausible scenario, um, and in this world. Uh, women, it, it basically all women's rights have been stripped. They're basically property of husbands. And because reproduction is no longer a given, only certain, a very small segment of the population is able to reproduce. Those women are basically used as, uh, I would say, uh, breeding. They're, they're passed from household to household um, and treated as property. And it's, I, I'm not doing the book justice, really, but I also don't want to give too much away. And um, I read this, I think, the first time in high school and then the second time in college. And yeah. um, and then somebody I know read it, reread it more recently, and, and it still stands up. Um, I, and I did the same thing. And uh, she, uh, Margaret Atwood is a great writer, and she does a, a really good job at putting these um, ideas forth and setting them down in such a way that really uh, it's unfortunately super disturbing but also un- unfortunately somewhat plausible so that yeah. w- that is why it is my number 5 
I agree with all those reasons. Uh, that's why it's my number four. Uh, the only thing I'll add in here is it's also about extremism and right. I didn't how want, that. Yeah, I didn't want to get too far into that, but and I also <laughs> don't. You know, it's it's specifically talking about religious extremism, but also socially social yeah. extremism. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I like that thread as well, and the warning of what what can happen when when you have a small group of people who only really talk to each other. This this process called group polarization, and and how that can fester extremism and the societal implications of that. And you know, one of the one of the great outcomes of a lot of economic research has been the best way to nurture an economy is to uh, to create opportunities for for all genders and to reduce a lot of those barriers that ex- the societal barriers that exist in um cre- creating economic opportunity for for men for women and handmaid's tale is the ultimate dystopian view of what might happen if you strip uh women away from all independence all rights all liberties and all place in society um it's it's a necessary part of the science fiction canon when it comes to warnings about the future. Um, my number five, Conrad, is a pick from Star Trek: The Original Series, and it's a it's a pick that you know often people lose the context of it. Um, but it is let that be your last battlefield. This mm. is the classic, the original series episode that most people will remember as the episode where Kirk and encou- Kirk and crew encounter one person who is half black and half white on one side, and another individual who is half black and half white on the other side. And the basic gist of the story is uh, the the crew of the Enterprise find out that these. Um, this race has been at war with each other, and they um, they basically um, see themselves as these two races, um, and it has led to the essential destruction of their species. And I'm not going to ruin where mm-hmm. the episode ends, but um, people say, oh, it's so basic, it's so like clear, yes, racism is bad, blah, 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 it's going to lead to our destruction. But you got to remember the context of this, that this was Star Trek becoming social justice, saying that, um, no, we're going to be very clear here, this is stupid, it is stupid to judge each other based on this one aspect of our appearance, that this is no way based in any type of reality, that race is a socially constructed thing. And in the heights of the unrest of the 1960s, for Star Trek to be saying this on TV was huge, was absolutely huge. And it was a huge warning to the future that if we continue down this course, of uh, racial unrest, it will be our uh, undoing. And as we've seen, Conrad, um, this year and last year and so many examples in history, this is something that um, the United States continues to struggle with very deeply. So let that be your last battlefield is my number five. Which is interesting because my my number four is not that, um, but you and I have talked a lot about how Star Trek puts forth a lot of these ideas. You could say that, you know, from Wrath of Khan and onwards, there's a lot of commentary about scary things that could happen if we continue to go down certain paths. Sure. Um, so I had there. There's a, 
I actually had two for my number four uh, for the issue of the health of planet Earth and the mm. pollution collapse, what, global warming, what have you. Um, you know, we've seen a ton about climate change. And unfortunately, some of the things that they talk about in um, Star Trek, A Voyage Home, uh, yeah. Star Trek Four: A Voyage Home. And now um, there's a book that came out recently called The Bone Clocks uh, by David Mitchell. He's the person who wrote Cloud Atlas. Um, but they, you know, in his future, there's a lot of different things going on, but it's in a future where, uh, the, the, the earth is basically dying and there's no, there's no fuel source and there's basically society has collapsed. Um, and both of these stories do a very good job at talking about, well, what happens when we make species go extinct and that we don't care, take care of the place that we live um, I think that humans, unfortunately, are very short-sighted, um, and I am guilty of certain things too. You know, the, the number, the amount of waste, and um, the things that we do in our day-to-day lives that we personally um, are responsible for. And just as a species, it's it's one of those things that I don't think we've yet learned the lesson, and we continue to see a lot of science fiction that tries to tell us that we need to pay attention to it. Um, and the voyage home is is about the whales going extinct. And this was done at a time when there was, you know, there is, and there still is pollution in the earth, but we were not being as conscientious in terms of saving, of, of protecting different species. Um, and it's, it's talking about what could happen in this case, if an alien race made of whales comes out of the sky, <laughs> <laughs> the earth will be destroyed if whales do not exist. Um, but in, um, in bone clocks, unfortunately it doesn't have quite such a hopeful ending. Um, it's, it's very bleak and very dark. Um, and it's interesting because there's an over, there's an overlying story that is very, you know, it, just exploring different things. Um, I just don't want to give it away in case you end up reading it, but, um, the the description of what's happening to the earth and what's happening to society as we we have run out of fuel and food is really interesting and what happens to people who say have diabetes and what you would have to do in order to sustain uh those people um it's it's a really bleak and kind of scary story um and that would just came out in 2014 so it's a continuing theme sadly reminds <laughs> so me a little report. bit yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Snowpiercer, not not one of my yeah, picks. But. Not, no, it's, a, it's the same idea. So this is a, yeah. a common theme in, in science fiction stories, and we see it repeating. And I think the reason why we see it uh, and continue to see it is because it's something we're, we are very scared of, but we're still not focusing enough on. No, it's something we continuously need to be warned about, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number four was Handmaid's Tale. Uh, so that takes me to uh, our number threes. My number three is Gattaca. Oh, uh, that's a great one. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's a little overplayed, but I think it's it's good. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that no one watched in the 90s, and I feel like everyone watched in the 2000s, but I, I still bring it up just because of how much I enjoy it. Uh, the basic gist is there's been um, some massive developments in genetic engineering to the point where all humans are genetically engineered, where the story takes place with one of the last... Um, Natural borns, um, the individual who was born without genetic enhancement, uh, played by Ethan Hawke. Uma Thurman is the main character in that film as well. And uh, the film was a, 
it really exaggerated the science, like the your ability to basically calculate how many heartbeats you're going to have. A lot of uh, biologists had, uh, you know, called shenanigans on that. And sure, that's all true. But but the warnings in in the way in which uh, genetics might be used to discriminate um, was was really well done. And here in the United States, uh, Congress passed GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act in 2008, which basically made it illegal for employers or health insurance to base decisions on your genes. I gotta imagine Gattaca had something to do with it mm. in, uh, in laying down the groundwork for that. So we're not at that point yet in 2015. We can do a lot with genetic engineering, but it's still... It still stands as a great warning of what might happen if we take that line of research too far. Cool. That's my number three. What do you got, Conrad? Um, I have a little book that was actually recommended to me by Greg Baer. And Mm. it is called A is for Anything by Damon Knight. And the scenario that this uh, explores is a little bit similar to humans to some extent, but... um, The whole premise of the book is that there is a device called a gizmo um, that can duplicate anything. So sort of similar to the to the replicator in Star Trek. Yeah. And what this explores is what happens when people don't have to work Um, and what 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 this does to society. And so it doesn't necessarily. um, um. It does explore certain things because it's at at some point they start duplicating people um, and turn them into slaves. So, like you know, there's there's different statuses depending on whether you were a duplicate, like a duplicated person or not. Um, so it it's not quite the same as AI, but the same kind of idea. Um, and I think that this is clearly worried about the singularity or what happens with technology when it runs amok. Um, so, and the reason why I kind of liked it is because all I could think about it while reading it was that, that it was the, um, the replicator, um, in <laughs> Star War, in, in Star Trek rather. Um, so it, it's a little weird book. It's older. It came out in, um, 1959. Wow. But but so, you know, this is something the reason why I threw it in there is given our, our conversation about humans. This is clearly a theme humans have been real humans have been worried about for a very long time. <laughs> so nicely, uh, nicely picked. That's another one of my criticisms. In addition to we don't see an army of data that um, the implications of the replicator are never really dealt with in Star Trek right. uh, and how that would change the economy of, uh, uh, well, just how that would have changed economies and, and motivation. And, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm going to add that to my never-ending queue, Conrad, because that's something I'm, I'd like to, to read and check out. Um, moving into number twos, my number two is Fahrenheit 451. Mm. Now, this is um, one of the greats by Ray Bradbury, uh, one of his classics, and very short read, but an important read, and it's it's really about censorship and mm. um, referring to the temperature at which uh, paper burns or books burn. Um, but it's something to remember here again, and 
we got to remember that a lot of these science fiction stories aren't just a warning to the future, but a warning to the present about what's happening around us. And this came out in that era of McCarthyism, in that era of blacklisting anyone who had uh, political leanings that were contrary to the majority. And it's it did predict other things like big screen TVs and us being like absorbed in media and all that sort of stuff. But um, what's funny about this book is it's really about censorship and it has a long history of being censored or banned in many different places inside and outside the United States. So it's a book that uh, really taps into those issues of freedom of speech and freedom of thought. So that is my number two. Excellent. Um, my number two actually explores a little bit of what you were exploring in your number three. Um, huh. It is also uh, highlighted by a Margaret Atwood Atwood book called Oryx and Crake. Have you read this? No, I haven't. Um, this is a book that is a lot about um, uh, about things to do with bioengineering and that kind of thing. Um, I don't want to give away too much because it will it will absolutely wreck the the storyline. It's a little bit of a Frankenstein tale, um, oh. but basically by sort of monetizing different things and making them quote unquote better. Um, we also open ourselves to vulnerabilities. So there is uh, some of this engineering has caused um, basically a weakness so that when a certain pathogen comes out, um, most of the humans have been wiped out or some are going to be like, it's clear that a lot of the people are going to die. So there's a certain segment of the population uh, that is still around, though, though sort of around, you know, and not in a great position. Um, and it's uh, it's really disturbing. And I do, I'm not doing I'm definitely not doing it justice by by this particular uh, synopsis. But I also do not want to give too much away. Um, and, you know, I think I think one of the things that we have been seeing a lot and you see this in zombie uh, zombie apocalypse scenarios and things like that is the fear that we have of um, like a global outbreak, which it explores that as well as our hubris um, and or what some people view as hubris and and fear in terms of what we are doing with science and uh, genetic engineering and things like that. So and it, it explores all of these things. Um, Oh, cool. I'm going to have to check that one out, too. That one is that one. There is a fantastic audiobook, oh, um, cool. which I think is great. And the characters are really well written. Um, so the exploration is is fascinating. Um, but it's, it's also, again, she does bleak really, really well. <laughs> so <laughs> so but I do think, you know, there was a number there were a number of books that I could have put out there in terms of oh, like yeah. a, a plague scenario. Some, some are a little lighter than others, but, but this is consistently a theme. This is where, you know, in addition to a lot of other things, our obsession with zombies and, and a zombie apocalypse scenario are there. Um, Cause you know what, this stuff is pretty scary and the idea of something like this happening is terrifying. And so you see, so this explores a few different themes in terms of human fears. Uh, that sounds like another thing that's going to go on my queue. Um, so that I'll 
put a pin in that one to, to check it out later. Uh, mentioning books, Conrad, that's my number one. So my number one is probably the most famous warning to the future. And while my more favorite dystopian book is Zomiotin's We, which is which I talked about in a previous episode, um, which is this uh, Russian author wrote really as a as a critique of what was happening in, in Russia at that time. Uh, I got to go with a book that is the more famous uh, dystopian story, and that is George Orwell's 1984. Ah, yeah, that's a great one. I mean, it's it's the one everyone sort of knows, and um, it's been adapted in different ways. But it's really this this story about state surveillance, um, control, uh, restrictions, and in, in media freedom of speech. And I think it. What's interesting to me is some of these things have been panned out in different parts of the world. We saw this. Uh, recently with uh, some of the leaks that came out about uh, the NSA and some of the domestic spying that's that's occurred. And it is uh, a story that um, wasn't quite there in 1984. That's not exactly what was happening here in the United States, but it, it's something that is very much a concern now. And as as the world becomes more connected with the internet and as communication becomes even more important, control of that media, surveillance of that media becomes even more of an issue that we need to grapple with and, and consider. So uh, George Orwell's book is still something that stands a test of time in terms of a warning to the future. What do you have, Conrad, for your number one? Um, for my, my number one, I actually picked something that you and I talked an awful lot about um, when we discussed our during our Black Mirror episode. Um, and I picked the episode that you and I both, I think, agreed was, was if not my, I think it may have been both of our favorites, but it's The History of You. Um, and oh, yeah, the reason yeah. why I picked this is that I think that this explores, again, it ties in with the themes that we were talking about a little bit with humans, but also the surveillance issue. Um, I didn't go quite as classic as you clearly on that, but <laughs> I feel like that episode just explores a lot of some of the, the disconnect that people are having, um, in terms of, or what could happen if people just get very involved, um, in the world of of technology and and start stop interacting with each other as much as they should be, um, and it is a cautionary tale, and I think it's a very poignant cautionary tale. Um, if and it's I think unfortunately one that we can see a little bit too much of ourselves in. Um, yeah, I think on a day to day, and for those of you who don't remember what this particular episode was about, um, in this world scenario, the characters have these chips that record everything and they play them back. Um, and it, it deals a lot with memory and what you remember and whether you should remember everything, um, in such, uh, detail. And it also, everybody has access to these. Um, so your privacy is a very different type of thing. Um, and I think that these are things that people have concerns about and are exploring now. And it's, it's definitely a little bit more real time, I think, than some of the other things we've talked about, but I think it has validity. So, so that was my number one. That's a cool pick. I, I love that you're going to bring it at full circle uh, with with our number ones, uh, me going classic and you going with mm. one of the 
what will probably be considered to be one of the modern great cautionary tales. Um, so and the movie, and that movie is coming out too. At some it's point. coming out. Yeah, I mean, listeners, we we want to hear from you. There's so many out there, so please let us know what what you think um, in in regards to your favorite warnings to the future. Conrad, I have a few honorable mentions. I'm going to shoot out in rapid succession. I do, and I I have a question for you because I have one sure. on my list, and I bet it's okay. on yours. I had Wally okay. on my list. Of course. And I thought about I thought about putting my top five, but I feel like you and I have talked so much about it that I had to throw it in there. Yeah, Um, that's that's my honorable mention list. It's it's stuff we've kind of talked about. I've got uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the Ah. original um, Soylent Green. Uh, <laughs> gosh, Sherry, Dara, about uh, overpopulation. District 9, another one you and I have talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Planet of the Apes, another one we love. And then, of course, 2006, Idiocracy is, <laughs> is on my list. Um, I didn't really go too far into my list uh, just because I was sort of trying to highlight, but I did have Wally and Planet of the Apes. Um, but you could, as I said, you could probably put just about every Star Trek episode and movie on there. <laughs> and they would all just be sort of a, a catalog of the hopes and fears of, of humanity. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's, uh, but I, I'm really glad we got to talk about all this today. And I am also very curious to hear what people have to have to add to this list. I want to hear what cautionary tales they like. So if you would like to let us know, please send us a tweet, uh, to, at Nerd Hours, where you can find us and continue this conversation. You can also email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Visit nerdhour.com and you can leave a comment there. And we can also continue the conversation um, in the other ways that you can reach us. Conrad, where can people reach you? Oh, on the other podcast, the Reanimated Podcast. That's reanimatedpodcast.com uh, or on Twitter, reanimatedpcast. Um, and we talk about cautionary tales an awful lot on that show as well. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's absolutely true. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's Die Prince. And on Twitter, I am at Olima2. You can reach me there. I also have a little website, brainknowsbetter.com, where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And then this past week on uh, The Psych Show, which you can find on YouTube and now on Facebook, too, uh, I talk about the psychology of Comic-Con. So I had a lot of fun interviewing a lot of people on that episode. So uh, And some friend of the shows are on that episode, specifically Josue Cardona, Yay. as well as Lohan Baumgarten. You can, you can check them out there. Uh, <laughs> so Conrad, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we um we're gonna have to talk about something a little bit more, uh, a little less scary next week because I am <laughs> uh, I'm scared to go to bed now. Um, and you know, until then, until the next episode, live long and prosper.